The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Turn with me again to the prayer of our Lord Jesus, John chapter 17. We come to verses 11 through 19 in this prayer of Jesus for his own people, the people whom the Father gave to him, first the apostles, but then for all of us who have come to believe through their word. John chapter 17, beginning at verse 11, Jesus says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been destroyed except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled." But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray together. Our Father, just as your Son on earth responded to his disciples' prayer, his disciples' request, Lord, teach us to pray, so we would ask you through his words to teach us to pray as well, and particularly to echo for ourselves what Jesus prays for us here, that you keep us from the evil one. Thank you that he's praying that, even now, for us at your right hand. We pray in his name. Amen. We're going to be meditating on this particular section of the Lord's Prayer, the prayer of the Lord for us, not only today, but also in two weeks on the 3rd of November, because in this section of the prayer, Jesus weaves together two themes, the themes of protection for the people whom God has given to him, and the theme of the mission of the people whom God has given. So we're going to focus on protection today and come back to the theme that's woven through verses 11 through 19, this theme of our mission in a couple of weeks. Things are changing, as you could hear Jesus has said in the fourth verse, we thought about a few weeks ago, that he's accomplished his mission. I have glorified you, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, as Jesus says in our text, he's returning to the Father. And one of the things that is preeminent on his mind is the protection of those whom he has protected during his earthly ministry. You hear that repetition, keep, keep. Guard, keep. Verse 11, they are in the world. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name that you've given to me. Again, verse 12, while I was in the world, I kept them. 
Again in verse 12, I guarded them. Verse 15, I ask not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Why this focus on protection, on keeping, on guarding? Well, Jesus gives us some clues. The world is a dangerous place. He says in verse 14, the world hates those who have received and welcomed and embraced the word that he has brought from the Father. But even more than that, as he says in verse 15, there's the evil one at work in the world. Keep them from the evil one. In fact, John elaborates on that in his first epistle at the very end, 1 John 5.19. John says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The world's a dangerous place. And of course, in the midst of this dangerous place, Jesus says that he's leaving his disciples, his apostles. And his apostles are not free to leave this dangerous world at this point. Now earlier in this upper room discourse, Jesus has already promised another defender to come, another advocate, another paraclete. The spirit of truth will come and he will press, continue to press God's lawsuit against this guilty and defiant world. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin because they don't believe in Jesus. Righteousness because Jesus is going to the Father, vindicated by his resurrection. Judgment because Jesus' death and resurrection are the decisive judgment on the evil one, on the ruler of this world. So in a sense... If we were reading through the gospel, we've already heard the way in which the Father is going to answer Jesus' prayer. Father, keep them in your name. The Father is going to do that by sending the spirit of truth among us to be our advocate and our protector. And at this point in the prayer, Jesus in effect says, Now, Father, I'm handing these people whom you have loved and given to me and whom I have loved and I'm about to lay my life down for them, I'm handing them back to you for safekeeping. I've kept them. I've fought off the predators as the good shepherd of the sheep. I've resisted those who want to snatch your sheep, my sheep, out of our hand. Now, Father, keep them. Protect them. It's, it's the changing of the guard. I want to think about just two things in the few minutes that we have here. First of all, why is it that we need protection so desperately? And then secondly, what kind of protection is Jesus asking the Father to give to us? Why do we need protection so desperately? Well, in verse 15, Jesus has, after having asked the Father to keep us and said that he's kept us and that he in in his earthly ministry has guarded the apostles... Jesus specifies more clearly what he means by protection. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So he places really front and center for us a reality that we cannot avoid, a reality that pervades the worldview of the Bible, But sometimes it's a reality that makes highly educated Western Christians a little uncomfortable. Maybe even Reformed Christians a little uncomfortable. Not that we would ever admit that outwardly. But sometimes, sometimes. It's the reality of spiritual warfare. 
that we're engaged in a cosmic conflict in which unseen forces who are stronger and trickier than we are are out to kill us. They're out to destroy us. They're like insurgent forces fighting to the death to seize and hold a strategic hilltop or a strategic village. Now, believers from the developing world, from the two-thirds world, don't have nearly as much trouble really believing this as sometimes Western-educated Christians do. They see the world, and often, even before they came to faith in Christ, the religious backgrounds and the cultures from which they came, and some of you can verify this, can attest to the reality that there are unseen forces, invisible spiritual forces for good and evil afoot in the world. Charismatic believers embrace the idea pretty readily, sometimes blaming every lapse into sin, every flat tire and every fever on the meddling of some demon or other. It's easy for us to sort of smile and say, hmm, hmm. We know better, right? We know that God rules his world in an orderly way. We know that human sin has affected the orderly course of providence as God is still is in control, but human sin and its toxic byproducts work their way out in a lot of different ways, too complex for us to sort of make a one-to-one correspondence between the meddling of angels and demons at every point. No, it's more complicated than that. We know that our good and wise and sovereign God has already won the decisive battle over Satan and his hosts in the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And those combination, that combination of true biblical insights can easily lead us to conclude that we can pretty much ignore the mysterious, malevolent operations of the evil one. Battle's over, all is won, no problem. And yet Jesus and his apostles take Satan more seriously than we often do. Jesus teaches us to pray in what we call the Lord's Prayer, in the disciples' prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yes, I know the way you say it in your church as in mine. We say deliver us from evil, very abstract. That's one way to translate that Greek expression. But everywhere else... Greek scholars, check it out. Everywhere else in Matthew's gospel where that adjective evil, paneros, appears with the article, the reference is to a person, and in almost all of those, it's to the evil one, Satan. And, of course, it's the same expression that we have here in John 17, rightly translated, keep them, protect them from the evil one, just as in 1 John 5, 19. Jesus is teaching us to think of that evil enemy, Satan, who is out to kill us. And of course, the apostles that evening would have recognized that Jesus was very concerned about the hostility of the evil one and our need for prayer. Earlier at the dinner, he had said to Simon Peter, who was convinced that though everybody else would leave Jesus I won't. I'll stick with him. And Jesus had said to Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, to destroy you, to take your faith down. But I have prayed for you 
And when you are restored, not if, because Jesus' prayer works, when you are destroyed, when you are restored, when you are restored, strengthen your brothers. Peter, it's not your courage. It's not your theological insight at Caesarea Philippi. It's Jesus' prayer that is your safety here, that Jesus is praying for you. When the evil one comes after you and when Peter would flinch, not once or twice, but three times and refuse to acknowledge how dear Jesus was to him. That same Peter, writing later, says to believers, this side of Pentecost, don't take your enemy lightly. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We know these texts. Do we believe them? Do we believe them deeply? Do we realize that we're in a battle that, left to ourselves, we're over our heads. We're way over our heads. Do we dare admit, as uh, one of the witches in Shakespeare's Macbeth says, something wicked this way comes, and it's worse than Macbeth himself? Someone wicked this way comes at us. We need protection. Because our life in this world, which is where he wants us right now, puts us right in the midst of a cosmic theater of war among powers whom we cannot overwhelm or even understand by ourselves. Tolkien fans know, remember, even if you weren't fans before the movies came out, you remember that when Frodo puts the ring on, suddenly invisible forces of evil become visible to him and he to them, which is the more dangerous thing. Well, without any evil ring of power, Jesus, in his prayer, as we listen in through the apostles, says, you need to see that there are unseen forces of evil. You need to have the eyes of your hearts open to the real conflict in which you find yourself, which is not culture wars over presidential resolutions or congressional acts or frictions over our spouses or arguments with other church members or even the global spread of Islam. That's not the war. Underneath all those skirmishes is the war of the evil one. I suspect if we saw that more, our prayers would be far more intense for ourselves and for one another. You know, it's right and it's good. And Jesus does this to woo us to approach the Father in prayer out of the promise that he, we can approach him as children to a Father who loves us. But it's not so bad a thing sometimes to be scared into prayer by the reminder that the enemies are so strong and we need to stay close to our champion. That's why we need prayer. We need the protection that only the Father can give through his word in the presence of the Spirit administering the victory of Jesus. And that's the nature of the protection. From Jesus' mention in verse 14 that the world hates us. From his mention before he began this prayer, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I will overcome the world. From our own natural inclination to avoid pain, we might wish that Jesus would say, Father, 
Leave them in the world, but don't let anybody hurt them. Hmm. That's not what he says. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. He's asking for us what he did not ask for the son of destruction for Judas. Hold them. Hold them close to yourself because you've given them to me. Jesus says, one has been destroyed. Judas has gone out. Judas will soon appear with those who would arrest Jesus. But that's because Judas was really never one of the gift people. Even though scripture had to be fulfilled that one of the inner circle would betray the Messiah, Judas was never really one of the gift people. And so what Jesus prayed for Peter, that he would stand in the sifting, Jesus did not pray for Judas. But he does pray for those who humbly trust in him. And that prayer is invincible. He prays, Father, guard them in your name. Guard them by your word. We sang in this psalm that the Lord is our shield, that the Lord keeps us. So Jesus says, keep them in the name you gave to me. Keep them in your word. And from the blood and sweat of the battle, as we see more clearly the eternal issues that are at stake in all of our mundane conversations and highly theological conversations in the student lounge and our interchange in classrooms and what's going on in your home and your church and your workplace, and as you drive from here to there on the roads, all of those things are ultimately part of this great cosmic spiritual battle and Jesus is praying for us so we add our feeble prayers to his almighty prayer father lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one and for the love of his son the father will hold us fast and not let go as we stay close to the champion who has won the battle obedient from start to finish who laid down his life for us and took it up again, who is our strong defender by the presence of the spirit of truth in our lives now. It's real battle. Don't underestimate it. You have a great champion. Never underestimate him. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see the unseen conflict that surrounds us in our nervousness and fear, in our impatience and anger, in our frustration, in all the ways in which we are tempted and too often fall. Give us eyes to see that there is an evil one who intends, if he could, to destroy us and would at least wound and damage us. And so, Father, keep us close to Jesus. And thank you that he's praying for us. Not that you take us out of the world until our mission is completed, but that you keep us from the evil one. We pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.
You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.